Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different, different. This is NOCO FM. We all have heroes. And one of my superheroes is comedian Dan Cummins. Not only have I loved his stand-up comedy for years, I absolutely have loved his podcast that's called Time Suck, which brings the best of Dan out. It's absolutely so intelligent, well-researched, and absolutely hilarious. And it's gotten me and I know so many other people through so many difficult times. Not only do you come away from his podcast feeling more educated, you've also laughed your butt off and started your morning in a way where you are going to feel like I can handle this day. Whatever life throws at me, I've been able to resource myself and be able to laugh a little when things are so heavy in this world. I'm so excited tonight to welcome he and his lovely wife, Lindsay Cummins, to the show. And we just dive deep tonight. We have so many awesome things that we're talking about. We're talking about relationships. We're talking about love. We dive deep on communication, what's enhanced their relationship. We talk about sex. We talk about COVID and we talk about Black Lives Matter and how through our own intention of understanding more and really coming together as a community, how we can really enhance our own lives and that of each other's. So this is a great episode. I'm excited that you're here. Get ready to laugh. Get ready to to think deeply and get ready for fun. Welcome to The Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. I want to talk to you guys a little bit about your love story. And (laughs) I I don't know if anybody has, you know, the hot scoop on... Um, like how you guys met, how you got together. I'm just really curious how this little power couple met up. You can tell you tell it so well, uh, okay. and I'll give my introductions as I do. Yeah, it was two. It was 2012, and I had just driven up to. So I lived in uh, Santa Monica, and then drove up to Spokane, Washington, to get Kyler and Monroe down for to bring them back for half of the summer. And, uh, and I had booked a spot on this Nickelodeon thing called uh, Mom's Night Out. It was like a stand-up show, kind of a weird thing. Nickelodeon was trying to retain viewers from watching children's programming during the day with some family-friendly friend- but a little more adult content at night. So they were trying to like, keep their daytime viewers. And they, it, it was a weird experiment. Um, Lindsay was the costume or the wardrobe. Uh, I was stylist. The t- stylist for the show, yeah. And then... So, but and it was right after I got back into town. So I had to like, we had to hurry, drive back down and we were driving. It was a crazy, like a long road trip. And then I put Kyler Monroe with my friend, Doug, had him watch uh, the kids while I went and uh, did the show. And it was kind of an afterthought for me. Uh, I had done enough shows before where I didn't think this was going to be some big career break. I just thought it was going to be like, okay, whatever, be fun, a little paycheck. So I didn't put a lot of energy into it. And I, because of the kids, I did show up late. Mm-hmm. And then I, and I, in uh, my previous experience with wardrobe people was they were really pushy about what I should wear. And whenever I would take their advice, I would regret it later. So I was kind of dismissive with her emails before meeting her. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah don't worry about it. 
it, he wasn't returning my phone calls either. True. I was I just not, not worried about it. <laughs> and then I, everybody else, you know, a lot of uh, other comics like come with their nice wardrobe, uh, you know, luggage, garment, bag. garment bags, everything. Uh, I showed up, I think, with a um, paper Target bag with some clothes in it. And so she was super annoyed. So irritated. But I thought she was super cute, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to gratuitously flirt at the job because then that's weird like she has to be there i don't want to make it too weird but i was and we were kind of flirty but not nothing crazy nothing crazy and then um when i left i forgot i accidentally just uh grabbed another person's pants another comic and so the uh, kira sultanovich this comic mm -hmm. and so then it was Lindsay's job to track down where kira's pants went and she had to email everybody and it was truly by accident and then when the email came through, I was just like, yes, because now we're not working together anymore. And uh, so I sent a flirty email back just basically asking if she wanted to come over sometime and Netflix and chill. <laughs> and then she, she sent me uh, a very sassy email. Very sassy email that if I uh, you know, wanted to take her out, I needed to uh, get a pair of balls and be a man and ask her on a real date. Not, and call me. And call, and call her, not just email her. Uh -huh. So I thought that was awesome. And he did. He called like literally 30 seconds later, my phone rang. Ah, yeah. So I called right that. away, left a voice message. Yeah, I was at work. Yeah, you were at work. And then, and then, yeah, then we talked maybe like the next day and then realized our backgrounds were surprisingly similar. Because like, you know, in the entertainment field down there, there's a lot of people who came from uh, a more affluent background. So they had like a lot of family help when they went out there and different things. Or, you know, some people will have, you know, kind of trust fund type situations to allow them to take all the time to be creative and all that stuff. And then Lindsay and I both grew up pretty poor and had very similar kind of blue collar backgrounds. And so we kind of bonded over that. And then we went on a date uh, either the next day or the next weekend. It was like, no, we met on a Wednesday. We talked on Thursday. We went on a date on Friday. Oh, yeah. Boom, 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 boom. Nice. Where, then, where'd you guys go? Where'd he we take you? We went to Promenade. We, kind of like an open-ended. We went to a few different places. We went to a place called True Foods. Uh, but we went to a variety of other places first. So we met at this place on the Santa Monica Promenade on this fountain. Mm -hmm. uh, met there. And then we just like had a drink at this uh, ye old King's Head yeah. British pub first, and then we went um, to a place called Yankee Doodle, this crazy sports bar where you can like play pool, mm -hmm. and then went to a place called True Food for dinner, and uh, yeah, had, like, a lovely big walk. Yeah, it was really nice out, like as it often is down there, yeah. and uh, yeah, and that was, I mean, it was, it was really fast. Where, mm -hmm. yep, I was like, oh, definitely want to see you again, and then, yeah, we just met, you know, quickly a few more times after that, and then that was it. That was it. The guy called my mom the next day, and I was like, well. That's it. And she was like, I'm sorry, what? Like, I found my guy. I mean, it was so instant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think we were, we were engaged 10 months. 10 months later, and then a couple year engagement, and then, then marriage. Yeah. Yeah. Because we did it all backwards. Like, he came to the table with kids. Yeah. So it was like, we got engaged, and then we bought a house, and then we moved up to Idaho to be closer to the kids. Mm -hmm. We did it all backwards, mm -hmm. which is great. Yeah, but and the kid and the kids felt. I mean, it was you know after we had been together, you know, several different times, went to a Dodgers game with the kids, it's and so and they bonded with her just incredibly. And it was and it was just nice. Like one thing I knew about that coming in was that Lindsay had worked at a a synagogue daycare, kindergarten, kindergarten. Oh, okay, kindergarten, and um and uh and also had been a <laughs> nanny of sorts, uh, babies, you know, but like extended yeah. babysitting yeah. to a few different families, and just really really good with kids. 
And the kids picked up on that right away. Yeah, Monroe was impressed with all the snacks I had all the time. Yep. <laughs> She's very organized. And that was, uh, Monroe <gasps> loved it so much. I'm not as organized. More, more, uh, you're like running gun. Running gun. That's a good term for it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and it was, uh, she has everything that we need. That was like their quote because they couldn't, couldn't believe, like, what? She has snacks where it's like with me, it's always like, uh, we just go and then we get there and whatever that we can find to eat nearby when they get hungry is what we find. <laughs> where Lindsay had like, you know, pre packaged things and, you know, a whole little container of goodies and drinks and everything. You gotta be ready, band aids, band aids, sewing kicks. I mean, you know, you got. You gotta be ready. Mm-hmm. Well, and and obviously you do. I mean, you have like you are channeling that mama energy so amazingly, you know. And and I've just watched it too over these videos during what we call the COVID. You guys, <laughs> you have just like you're always whooping something up. You got these rice krispie treats, and everybody's oh, gathering in the kitchen, and it's just awesome. Thank you. Yeah, we really. We're very lucky that way we all actually like spend time together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's what I also, I had a blended family for 12 years. I had my two kids and then my ex-husband's two kids and we raised those kids for 12 years and it was brilliant yeah. and it was wonderful. And so I get it. I mean, we really, really, the kids got along awesome. We'd go camping yeah. every weekend during the summer and it was just big time. Right. So I really feel that, you know, and that ability to come in and just love those kids like they're your own. You know, so I I, I witnessed that and I I love it. And the other thing I just, I dig about you guys so much is just the way that you can collaborate together and you're doing the podcast together now, Scared to Death. And I know, Lindsay, you helped Dan out, it sounds like, so much on the show. Yeah, we have Mm -hmm. a really good, it's funny that we both have a production background. So as Time Suck began to grow, it just reached this um, sort of like catalyst moment of was like either hire someone else to come in and do X, Y, Z, or I could stop what I was doing. I was working in real estate and, and do this. And it just made more sense because it is so much, to me, it's just very natural. It's like organizing, maintaining, you know, it's all the little like loose ends that kind of get forgotten about. Um, you know, the small bills that have to get paid, dealing with the accountants and payroll. Or it's just those little things, sending a note to a fan in the mail. It's like, he doesn't have time for that. And so we have, yeah, we we have found a, quite a good, yeah, good rhythm. Good rhythm, yeah. I mean, there was definitely like you know hiccups, like more on my end, where you know I came from doing stand up. I had done some production things, working for other people, but but never things that I was really passionate about. It was passionate about stand up, and then it was you know working for on some show. Uh, it was fun, fun to do something different, interesting to learn something. But I never really cared about the show I was working on, and so it was easy to collaborate because I wasn't really invested creatively. And it was weird bringing people in and, you know, to and Lindsay into this because with uh, coming out of stand-up, initially with a podcast, it was all like mine. It was like, I make all the decisions, I make all the creative. And, and it was really hard in moments for me to like let go of some control because I was so worried about like, well, if somebody else makes a mistake, uh, I'm the person they're, people are going to be mad at, <laughs> you know, kind of totally. thing. Totally, yeah. And it, it was a big transition for me. Now it feels very natural to be part of like, I look at it like a team you know, and I have my creative role on it, but everybody else helps, you know, the whole, it makes it takes a village to make it work. But, you know, it, it definitely took some growing pains to, to get to that place. I had a couple freakouts. Yeah. But they were, I think that they were rightful, mm-hmm. you know, 
and I don't know, we're not a couple that like screamed and yelled at each other. So it would just be sort of these like frustration moments from Dan of like, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't want your opinion on this, even though I know I need it, right? Like we're moving into this collaboration Mm -hmm. and working on changing the language of like I, I, I to we, Mm -hmm. the team. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was just like a little bit of a a brain switch, but you, Mm -hmm. you did it quite well. Yeah, I, I think, yeah. Compared to well, compared to some of my peers, I don't know. I feel like I've been told this a fair amount of times that I just have a different kind of ego. You do. Where uh, I I just like to be creative. I just like to work. I enjoy the process. I just enjoy going to my own little world and cracking myself up with silly little jokes about you know whatever I'm finding as I go. Um, I don't need like I don't think about uh, famous or. Uh, you know, it's, I gotta be on this big tour and these certain venues. I just like, nope, can, can I, can I be in a venue where I get to do what I want to do? I can. Okay, great. Yeah. And then I'm kind of good. So uh, you are good that way. Yeah. Yeah. As long as I get my little creative space to like play with the toys the way that I want them, then I'm pretty happy. You have like a practical ego. Hmm. Okay. That's, yeah. that's, I like that term. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and I do think that it's, it's difficult to go from an I and just experiencing yourself as like with the individual success that you had to, you know, what the term I like to use is like to a weenus. Well played. Uh, I, I, I had no idea when I made that joke, actually, that I guess it's your elbow skin. It is. I've been trying yeah. to tell my, my boyfriend, who's a doctor, I'm like, hey, do you know this is your weenus? He's like, I never studied that in medical school. It's a funny term. Nobody yeah. cared about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. So you guys, so I, I think part of part of what I want to talk to you guys about, though, is that, yeah, you've been together now eight years. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. About yeah. eight years. And yeah. so, yeah, high fiver on that. And what what would you guys say, though? I mean, there's obviously this cool synergy, this magic, this flow. And, and I'm hearing, yeah, you had some bumps. But what keeps the spark for you guys? What helps you guys to keep this, you know, collaborative energy going and just this cool? I mean, it's fun to watch you guys on Instagram because it's the friendship and the bantering. And like you can tell you guys play together. And obviously after one of the videos, you know, that you guys do it once in a while. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That is key. Well, I mean, that is actually like sex is so Mm -hmm. key because what we have found is anytime that we're really like we just get frustrated with each other. We're really not a couple that fights. I mean, we all have our disagreements and our arguments, but we've never like, oh, you're sleeping on the couch tonight. Like it never, ever gets to that point. But when we are like more bickering mm-hmm. or like more frustrated, one of us is like, hey, when's the last time we had sex? And that immediately diffuses so much of the frustrations yeah. in the household because you're just feeling disconnected somehow it's mm-hmm. so important and that's yeah. happened a fair amount the last couple of years just because of starting you know like starting a business mm-hmm. or adding a business on the back of another business it's definitely like a labor of love but it's a lot of hours mm-hmm. and so you know th- that was just a new thing for us to yeah just to um we've got during the quarantine actually it's gotten um uh, mm-hmm. a lot easier finding that balance but you know like i guess keeping the spark the most important thing for us is just to always kind of uh remind each other to refocus on having some balance and not let the one person just work 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 all the time or you know uh, mm-hmm. uh we're, we're pretty good communicators and so we're pretty good about like when the other person is seems tense or distant 
we, we never just like let it slide. Never. Like ever. Yeah. We always just, you know, uh, now it's just like so normal mm-hmm. Yeah. where for a while there, you know, it's like, it was a different level of communication even for me. I've always been pretty outspoken about that stuff. You just, yeah. But I haven't always dated people who were outspoken and it's, that was always a point of frustration where it's like, why can't we just talk about this? Like when somebody would just throw up a wall, I'm just like, that never, that never, that never ends well. You know, to me, I'm, I am like kind of like cold logic too much of the time maybe, but um, I can't let it go. Cause I'm like, yeah, but what you're doing is being ridiculous. Right. Like, like putting the wall, we're, we're going to have to face it eventually. I'm, and I'm just amazed how many people are just like, nope, nope, just going to ignore it. No, I'm good. I'll just push, push it down. Right. So right. And you guys all out. And, and if you know, like John Gottman's, uh, he's, he's this big marriage guru. And mm-hmm. that's what he talks about. He talks about these four apocalyptic horsemen in relationships. Okay. And so one is, of course, contempt, like having contempt for your partner. Um, nasty, yeah. nasty sarcasm, not the joking sar- sarcasm that we do, but like pointed, nasty sarcasm. Yeah. Um, and, and, and one of, and one of them is, well, criticism, that's the third. So nasty criticism and stonewalling, which is exactly what you were talking about, Dan. I mean, like that is the killer, right? It's like, I feel like that's one of the cruelest things we can do to each other. Cause it's like, you don't exist. I'm not talking right. about it's- it. Right. Yeah. 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 Contempt is such a, uh, that's a, yeah, I like, I love that one too, where, you know, like, like I, I look I like just a different way of phrasing that as, as far as like respect, you know, like where if you, if you really respect somebody you're with, you can get through so many different problems where it's like, I'm frustrated with them here. I'm annoyed about this, but at the end of the day, I really respect them as a human being. I really respect them as a person there. You know, I respect their integrity and their strength of character and all that kind of stuff. And it, it, I'm amazed when I just so many relationships where I am seeing what I feel like is like, oh, this person doesn't respect their partner. Like they don't have any respect for them as a human being. It's like, how do you expect that to last? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, lust, all those things, that's going to come in and out. That's going to fade. And then when you get to those like, you know, uh, tough moments or those tough patches, if you just don't respect who you're with, that that's just never going to end well. Yeah. Nope. Sure does. Yeah. And that's one of the things, you know, with Lindsay, when we first started dating, uh, hardworking, um, a lot of integrity and very thoughtful, very like compassion, nice. thoughtful mm-hmm. that like, that, that like stood out to me, uh, immediately. And, you know, and it's just like, yeah, your character is like, like we joke about, like you drive me crazy. Like no one ever drives me crazy, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but like, I never don't respect you. Right. Like right, I, I, right, I never, right. I, I never, uh, think that you're not a good person. I, I can like marriage. Really. Sorry about that. That's that, that drives okay. me crazy. I'm trying with zoom to, um, you know, you have to use the email to link over to the zoom. And then, then like, whenever it dings, I'm like, no, <laughs> I <know. laughs> like I, I think someone once said like somewhere and this is like marriage is loving and hating someone simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, like, I, because even though I don't really hate you, I could never be so mad at somebody the way I can be mad at you. And then five minutes later, also love you as much as I can love you. Like, because no one else frustrates me the way you frustrate me. Well, and, and Lin- <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. And Lindsay, I was going to say to your point, like when I'm doing couples therapy or I'm doing therapy with somebody who's like just had a divorce or a breakup, I always say the opposite of love isn't hate. It's apathy. Yeah. Ooh, Ooh, yeah. Nice. Yes, right. Yes. So, so sure. both hate and love are really passionate, and it's yeah. obvious you guys have this passionate relationship, right? So, of course, you guys are going to drive each other crazy. 
But if you were like, I feel nothing, right. I don't like, I don't give a shit. Right. That's oh, so when we're in trouble. Yeah, apathy is the worst. Yeah. Yeah. We and, and what was that book we read early on? Uh, love the Love Languages book. That that was really helpful for me too. Classic. Yeah, just to think in terms. Well, there was the love languages, like you know, like what do you need touch, and then there was also maybe there was another book. His attorneys. His attorneys, but there was that book about. I just remember it was about um, when you get into an argument or you're having some kind of like communication breakdown or disagreement over something. Uh, entertain the possibility that the other person is right, and it's such a simple thing, but it like I was like, oh yeah, I do that all the time. I build up this narrative in my head. Uh, well, they must mean this, or they must be doing this. And now I step back and just go, okay, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm not looking at this the right way? What if, you know, and that, help, that helps me. Dan's an excellent communicator. And it is interesting because not to lump men into this, like, oh, they're Neanderthals, they don't communicate well. I just know how rare and special the level of communication we have, simply because my own family members will say, like, well, how do you guys have it so good? And like, yeah, because we talk about everything, even the uncomfortable things. Like thinking about early on when we met, neither one of us had a lot of money. I certainly had more debt. Yeah. And it was so embarrassing and so uncomfortable to come to the table with That's that. Right. I, I had like student loan debt. I had some debt from like money that I borrowed from a family friend. And nothing was insurmountable. We weren't talking, you know, $100,000, but we were talking about things that were, I mean, we're still paying on my student oh, yeah. loans. And it impacts the the longevity of your future. You know, it's like, what's going to happen? Can we afford that bill? And You've gotten so good at that. I forgot about that. Yeah, money was our biggest, hardest mm-hmm. thing to talk about. It was very emotional for her, like, early relationship where me, well, I remember telling you the phrase, uh, and then it started right, where I'm like, money doesn't care about you. Right. You know, like, money doesn't have feelings. It's just, you know, it's math. You either have the dollar amount to pay your bills or you don't. You know, credit card interest rates are what they are. They mm-hmm. compound at the rate they do, whether you want them to or not. <laughs> but, it, but it was always like very cold and pragmatic where for Lindsay early on, it was very much like, but I want this, but I work hard, but I, I deserve, you know. Yeah, it was it, a lot of tears around money mm-hmm. early on, like yeah. a lot. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I and I get that too. You know, I get that too. And I think a lot of times I can only speak for myself. Like I equate money with safety. Ah, you know, and yeah. so it's like for my own personal power and a woman who lives by herself, you know, yeah. I want to have my own money that makes me feel safe. And I totally get it, Lindsay, because I still have, you know, Jesus debt from grad school up the wazoo. And I'm like, yuck. Yeah. It, yeah. It's uncomfortable yeah. so bringing that, that in. Yeah. yeah. Really? And I grew up in a household where my mom, my parents mm. divorced when I was young. I was, I mean, young, I was 12, 13. And my mom was so concerned about, um, she, her, her catchphrase was my kids aren't going to skip a beat here. They're not going to miss out on anything just because I have financially put us in this predicament, this choice. And so she made a lot of emotional spending choices and for better or worse, no one worked harder than my mom. I mean, she would have two and three jobs. We, I mean, we call her like, you know, St. Joan, St. Joan, my mom <gasps> is like, if like mother Teresa and Martha Stewart had a baby, it would be like, like I love she it. Did, did everything sweet and perfect and thoughtful and kind, but also like 
got up at three in the morning to go to one job before she came home and got ready and then went to her full-time job yeah. and put herself through college. I mean, like, and, then, she, and then ended up, you know, worried about her retirement because of some of those, you know, spending yeah. choices. Yeah, those spending choices, that. like, caused her, I had some health issues when I was younger. Between that and the emotional spending, she lost her house in a foreclosure, as many people did in 2008. And it really kicked her in the butt. But I mean, listen, now she's like in an amazing place and everything is fine. But if that's what you grow up with, if that's your example of money is my mom sitting in her little home desk crying and saying like, well, I've got to rob Peter to pay Paul. Of course, my relationship with money was tainted and challenged. Yeah. But yeah. you were really good with money. And that's like those things that yeah, you I, just I got lucky, you know, like, balance that way. Yeah. I saw like, you know, I don't want to throw like family members under the bus necessarily right here by name, but there was one, you know, set of family members who uh, were really good about putting off short term um, pleasures or whatever like that, or, you know, making themselves feel good by buying new X, Y, or Z in, in, uh, in favor of like long term goals. And I got to see as a kid, I got to watch how they saved, how they lived their lives, and then how their retirement ended up looking versus another close family member who always spent, mm-hmm. always like, you know, uh, just blew things kind of frivolously. And then I got to see how that looked when they were retiring. I was like, Ugh, I really don't want to have that look. So I actually kind of ended up going the other way, where, you know, too much where I'm glad Lindsay has a good influence on me, where if it was just me, I would be one of those people where like when they died, you would find out they had like $3 million in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> but you would never know because they like never because <laughs> yep, they never did anything. And and so Lindsay brings a good love like reminder to me of like, yeah, but you also can enjoy the now. Right. It's, it's okay. It is okay. To do something other than just save. Yeah. Which is awesome. It sounds like you guys really balance one another that way. And and, yeah. and in so many ways. I mean, the communication thing is just awesome. And the other thing I do have to say, another kudos to you, Lindsay, is, I mean, you show up in this world as such a strong woman. And I imagine, you know, what you've been through also watching your mother go through yeah. all that and work her ass off that. I mean, what a role model for you. She's brilliant. Yeah. Yes. And And I feel like, you know, Dan, I feel like I know you personally only because I've been following you for like eight years. So I'm like talking like I know you. you know? <laughs> like you do in that sense. I mean, I'm pretty open. So you actually do know a lot about me. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I like feel like, I've, yeah, I've kind of grown up with you here. But uh, I think, you know, Lindsay, Dan needed somebody like you. Yeah, we. It, it is just like a very, I always think that, you know, timing is everything. And we just met at the right time. And we were both in the mental space, both mm-hmm. open. Dan had been divorced for a little while, had dated a few other women, like, you know, had lived with women. So I wasn't the first one right out the gate. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like he had his fun. He, mm-hmm. he sowed his oats or whatever he needed to do. Like, I don't know. I've never been divorced. I can't imagine the range of emotion that you go through. Right. But like, I yeah. know, the, I know the phases from watching like my mom or other friends where it's like, you have like the divorce diet and you get like, so in shape and you're like, you know, mm-hmm. that's the one thing you can control. Yeah. And then sometimes people get real promiscuous. Yeah. Sometimes, know? sometimes they don't just sow their wild oats. They're like making oatmeal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he had a little oatmeal. Yeah. I, <laughs> but you have fun. And I, I was glad for that. Yeah. I was glad to know I don't have, it's not to say that I'm not a jealous person, but like I knew in my mind, like, okay, he was ready. If it was going to work, it was going mm-hmm. to work. It, the divorce wasn't going to be an element of our relationship that held us back or caused the relationship not to work. Cause I mean, that is a legitimate thing. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? Like 
right? You've been there. Yeah. You're not ready right away. A, I'm sure you don't want to like open up. You're so, I'm certain you're so raw and just so exhausted. How could you possibly pour yourself into a new relationship? Mm-hmm. So when we met, it was just really, I was so ready to settle down. Um, and I wasn't, I was very on the fence about kids. I mean, it just, yeah, yeah it, was, it, was, it, it was good timing. I'm glad I had, yeah, I, like I can border a little bit on kind of nihilism in moments where it's, I'm just such a curious person in bad ways sometimes where, you know, it's like, uh, in one sense I would be with my kids and like very on top of it, you know, um, steady dad. And then on a week when I didn't have them, I'd be off and I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll do those drugs. You know, or whatever. Just like, 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 yeah, oh, fun. that seems fun. You know, like, so, so I'm glad, like, Lindsay was the person where she didn't try to. I feel like in a lot of relationships, I would experience somebody trying to change me. I hate that. Uh huh. And, yeah. and it was really nice where she didn't try to change me, but also she didn't uh, encourage my worst urges, which was, yeah, nice, a nice balance. Yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm. Well, let's talk about how then you guys came together and supported one another doing this awesome Time Suck podcast because, you know, so as I said, I mean, it's probably been about eight years, Dan, that I've followed you. And I mean, I and I think I've told you this before, but I used to listen to comedy radio every morning because, you know, as a psychotherapist, my job is so heavy and I'm a trauma specialist. And I was like, I would listen in the morning and just be laughing my ass off all the way to work. And I mean, Dan, you just stuck out as one of my favorite people. And so as when you got time stuck going, it was actually my daughter, Acacia, who met you guys in Denver too, and absolutely loves the both of you. I'm supposed to tell you Uh hi. And, uh, but she said, mom, mom, Dan's got a podcast. I'm like, no way. (laughs) And, and what's been brilliant about it is that it's not, I mean, it is funny as shit. And I will just like, again, I mean, now I listen to it the whole 45 minutes I'm getting ready, not just, you know, on Uh on the drive to work, but it's, I love that your sincerity, your integrity, who you are as a person shines through just like so beautifully. And my God, like, yes, cult of the curious that it's stuff that we really do want to know about and explore. And so it's like, it jazzes so many different places in my brain and in my heart. So yeah. And I know it does for so many people. So talk a little bit about that journey together. You guys. So crazy. Yes. It is so crazy where, you know, um, you know, I'd love to say I'm some mastermind who like had this whole plan. And I knew it would go to this place, but you know, I didn't. And, and I just started off just like, well, you know, when I would procrastinate doing work, if I was supposed to be doing something else in the computer, when I, when my brain felt it needed a break, I just kept going to these wormholes. I've always just been a very curious person where, and to this day, like when somebody brings up a name in conversation, I, I have to fight the urge to get out my phone and immediately look a bunch of information up about them. Cause you know, I just want to know, and, uh, and I didn't know if it would work. And then, and then when it started to get, you know, feedback from fans, I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then I think what really made it kind of work initially was I actually listened to the feedback where uh, a lot of people would be like, no, I know what I'm doing. I'm the comic, I'm the podcast or whatever. I'm gonna do it this way. And, and I've always had this attitude. I'm like, well, I want to do what I want to do, but only if other people also enjoy it. And, uh, you know, I, I want to find that balance of what do I enjoy that other people also enjoy. And so I didn't, you know, if feedback wasn't aligned with what I wanted to do artistically, I wouldn't listen. But if it was a new thought, I'm like, oh, okay, that does make sense. I, I could do less of that, or I could do more of that. I took that into it and it really started to grow. And then the, the, 
what I found interesting is when I started doing shows after that, uh, stand-up shows, the amount of people who would come up and just kind of be like, be emotional or, and talk about suicide or depression and how for, you know, like my stand-up had kind of helped in that way. Cause that was, that was really surprising to me at first. And then the podcast too, cause I have a dark sense of humor and the podcast is a dark sense of humor. And I, what I didn't realize is that a lot of people who feel alone or ostracized, you know, like they also have a dark sense of humor or a dark outlook. And maybe they were around a family who thought that was wrong and made them a terrible person or whatever. And I found this whole community of kind of like misfit toys. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love that. And that's really yeah. it. Yeah. Where, they, where they can like listen to somebody who's giving to charity, who's doing nice things, but who also thinks the craziest, darkest jokes imaginable. And it just makes them, because they're like, well, I think those thoughts... Maybe I'm not a freak. Maybe I'm not some terrible exactly. person. You know, it's like, and it's, yeah, it's been like this unexpected, beautiful outcome. Well, yeah, because both like Dan and I, popular in high school, college, but like never really feeling like we fit. Like it just mm. was never quite mm -hmm. right. And so I think that that comes through too, where it's like this podcast, I mean, really yeah. like we're going to go back to like what started it, you know, it's just like, we knew that we needed to move up to Coeur d'Alene to be near our kids. Um, their mom lives in Washington. So we're just right, you know, on the border and we 50-50. But Dan was like, well, I don't know. Like, you know, most comics don't tour after about 50. And I'm, you know, at that point, 37, mm -hmm. you know? And he was like, okay, or, well, no. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, comics who don't find their audience by that point generally don't really do it the same way. It's like you either reach a new level of success, like a Chappelle, not necessarily like Chappelle, but like, but like towards that where you have an audience, you know, uh, and if you don't, the clubs are not going to keep booking you kind right. of past mm -hmm. that age. So we were just yeah. concerned. Like we were just thinking about like, okay, what does the future hold, you know? And, yeah. and so it was, it was born of yesterday, like your love of learning. Yeah. It was like, what do I love? What do I think other people will love? And what maybe, maybe will be the thing that if I couldn't do stand-up anymore, I could transition into. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and then we moved up here. I was working in production when we moved up here. So then I left that career, started in real estate. And it was, I mean, he was doing Time Suck for at least, what, a year or two before it started making money? Yeah, it was, it was such a crazy thing to look back where let's see that's three and a half three years ago i think uh i think it was three years ago see yeah 2017 i believe I'm gonna just look or maybe even two episodes it was out. yeah it was 2016 was when the first episode 16, came out yeah and i think it was the summer after that in 2017 so yeah about three years ago that sounds right no actually it was longer than that that's right no i'm sorry it was the early two it was two years ago it was early 2018 our money was real tight and because it, we got married in uh -huh. 16 and money, yeah, money was yeah. tight all of 17. I was doing yep. real estate, which takes so much money to get going before yep. you can even make money. We were like, it was sweatness. Yeah. And so that was part of the motivation, I think, also to put everything I had into this because, you know, we're, it was a little bit back against the wall where if this doesn't work, there was no plan B. You know, there was no like, what else? And so that also helped get it going was that, you know, motivation of just it, it needing mm -hmm. to kind of work. So I definitely put everything I had into it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's come along beautifully. I mean, we've been so, so lucky. lucky. Mm -hmm. So lucky. Well, and then you guys, how long ago was it you started the Scared to Death together? Maybe a year in September, which yeah. doesn't feel possible. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, that was super, super fun to get going. I've always loved, um, before I, I, I loved comedy, actually. I was a big horror fan, like Stephen King and horror movies as a kid. 
I was way more into that all growing up than I was comedy. And so actually, it's like, even though I've done comedy for a long time, horror was the genre I loved first. And it's, it's been really interesting to do it because when I put together the stories, um, uh, putting together a scary story, and it's like, you know, it's based on a true story. I used, you know, like it's uh, uh, the core of the story is true, but I definitely changed the pacing to make it scarier, to make it, uh, and it's interesting to, to write horror is very similar to writing comedy. You're, you're, you're writing for an emotional reaction. And in one, it's laughter. And in the other, it's, oh my God, it's, you know, uh, or, or the chills or just like spooky. And so it's been really fun. It feels like the opposite side of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I have to be honest, I have never listened to it only because I am so chicken. Um, oh, yeah. Because I used to love all the horror movies. I grew up like my era was, you know, the Halloween movies and Freddy Krueger yeah. until... Yep. What's that? Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis. And and it was only when I was like 36 years old, I think it was, I realized I don't leave the knives out in the kitchen at night. Ah, because of Halloween. Because of Halloween. Like, I would literally have anxiety around, like, if someone's leaving a knife and I didn't even know it was connected to I'm like, no, no, kids, put those away before you go to bed. Everybody put the <laughs> knives away. And uh-huh. that is literally what it was about. And, you know, and I read all the Amityville horrors. I listened to your Amityville horror suck. You know, I, I do, I can listen to it that way, but like no serial killers, no scared to death. I won't sleep. And, yeah. and But no, I'm supporting you. And, you know, my, 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 totally my, okay. my inner teenager I, loves it. Perfect. Yeah. Anytime someone's like, oh, I'm going to listen to it. I'm like, but how scared do you get? Yeah, because it scary. is scary. My mom's like, sorry, I yeah. can't. Like she said she tried to listen to it and she got like 30 seconds into our intro and she just said it was so scary that she just turned it off and was like, oh my God. Yeah. And she's also very religious. So she was like, I just prayed. Like I was like, <laughs> I it all. I'm hearing the Michael Myers soundtrack. It's funny. I've watched so, so many horror movies. Immediately when you brought that up, I'm seeing clips in my brain. I'm hearing that dun 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 yes! dun 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 I love it though, but that's that's literally it, right? I mean, and how fun though, you guys are really getting to explore both sides of that. And I love it because it is, it's both this emotional intensity, mm-hmm. you know? No, and Time Suck makes me very skeptical because it's all analytical. It's all like, you know, uh, trying to de- uh, detect bullshit, I guess, in the story and separate truth from, you know, rumor and lies and all that. And so after doing it for a while, I was getting pretty skeptical of anything that wasn't science-based. And it was kind of bumming me out where, um, you know, because I want to believe in something other than this, but I'm not religious. And scared to death is in a weird way, he's made me more spiritual because there's so many stories about all these things that, uh, yeah, sure. A lot of people, maybe they're, it's their imaginations, or maybe some people are lying, but then the, the critical part of my brain thinks, yeah, but are all of them lying? Is every single story a lie? And if even one isn't, that means that there's something else. Mm-hmm. And, that, yeah. and that makes it so good. Yeah. See, and I love that because I'm not a religious person at all. And 30 years as, you know, a therapist and working in the mental health field, let me tell you, I have heard stories about people seeing dead people and people's dead relatives showing up and all kinds of bizarre things where you start after you've heard it for so long, you can't deny it anymore. You know, like you're saying, you're going, there is something to this. Are all getting together and weaving a web together. Like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to tell her yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. you tell her that it's like, 
it's all organic. It's coming from a real place for them. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. And I only worked with, you know, paranoid schizophrenics for three years. So the rest of the time, it really was people saying like, this really happened. This is not a delusion. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. so. There's I, so many corroborated stories out there. That's always, that's Those are the ones that really get me where, you know, it's not just one person. It's, it's one person saying, did you hear that? And then the other person confirms out loud exactly what they thought they heard. And then it's like, well, how do you explain that one? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. I love that. And and actually, I just think that's so fun. I mean, that just like jazzes my brain too, to just think about they're like this other dimension, right? That we we don't even, we don't even know about, but we get these little peaks, right? We get these peaks into Mm -hmm. that window and so fun. So I want to ask you guys too, and I'm going to ask both of you separately. Um, So I guess, Dan, starting with you, is, is there an episode on Time Suck that just really impacted you or when you learned about it? I mean, it was just something that really stood out. I don't know after 195 episodes if you can pick out a favorite, but something yeah. that really like either changed you as a human being or gave you like different perspective or opened your world. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, I think like uh, a handful of them, and, and I'm sure I'm thinking this now just because of recent events, but you know, like um, I did, a, I've done a few episodes, like Martin Luther King, uh, the history of the KKK, uh, uh, the Black Panthers, um, uh, Josephine Baker, uh, where just naturally in the stories you learn about like history through a different lens, you know, mm-hmm. different perspective. And growing up in like Idaho for the most part, and especially small town, you know, I realized like the history I learned was pretty whitewashed and. Uh, yeah, that, that really did just open my eyes to like, you know, it's, it's, without living through any but myself, without having any experience, any but firsthand, it did give me a lot more empathy, you know, for like what it's like in our country, you know, when everybody's like, oh, well, we had a black president. Oh, there's, you know, racism is gone. It's like, no, it's not, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you realize the history is so recent of, you know, segregation, legal segregation was just, you know, a handful of decades ago. And, and then the aftermath of that, yeah, that, that did really um, change the way I kind of look at things. And I think when you become more empathetic to the plight of, you know, one other race, if you're logical, then it opens up to being more empathetic to the plight of every other race and realizing that reality is different for all of us. I don't know that every once in a while, I mean, for lack of a better term, those kind of social justice episodes, you know, they they change the way I look at the world more than say uh, a serial killer episode or more than a cult episode. Those are entertaining to me, but they don't but they don't impact me in that same way. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah, and and I, I you know again I just I really resonate with that. I I feel like um, not only does it open us up to you know being open to all the different races, but also experiencing like transgender people yes. and mm-hmm. being more open to LBG. Right. or or to you know or to ageism yes right yes and and so i i just think that's the beautiful thing about those kind of episodes is not only do we start gaining compassion compassion and empathy for mm-hmm. that particular human experience but maybe it starts to bleed over a little bit and we start getting this more beautiful generalized effect right? yeah absolutely you know it's like uh yeah, I think that the, my hope with all that stuff is that, you know, that more and more as a species, we can uh, make it more of a, you know, character based, our assessment of other people, where don't worry about their sexual preference, don't worry about their skin color or their age. It's like, h- how do they treat others in the world? 
what are they doing in the world? And just, and then this period, it just kind of let it kind of end there. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah, yes. Because the rest of the stuff is so silly. I, I'm amazed personally that as, as I get older, I get more frustrated with certain like political beliefs and certain even like religious beliefs. I get, I get kind of more angry about it, you know, and specifically when you bring up like LGBT, it's so irrational to me to care on any level what two consenting adults are doing in the privacy of their home. Like how, how does that impact your life? It doesn't. Yeah. I don't have more or less money tomorrow or next week because of the kind of sex the people in my neighborhood are having. <laughs> right. I don't have more or less crime. I don't, it affects my life zero, yeah. you know, but some people get so upset and so angry and so judgmental and it consumes them. Just the thought of people they don't even know who they've never met literally just what kind of consensual sex they're having. It's absurd. It infuriates me. Well, and, and, and can I just say that, like, you know, just from a little psychological perspective, that perhaps yeah. it's their own inability to deal with their own dark sides of sexuality. You know? I I, a lot, yeah. 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 When, when the anger reaches a certain level, I always start to think, who are you really angry at? Are you, and, I, and I always do wonder, I'm like, are you mad because they're doing what you want to do deep down in your heart, but you're so worried about the judgment of your parents or your church members or your neighbors that you won't, so you twist it and think that the righteous thing to do is suppress those feelings and how dare this person indulge in what you've worked so hard to push down. You know, it's like this weird self-hate mm -hmm. that gets just twisted and projected on everyone else. Yeah, I absolutely feel like, yeah, that's it. That's it. Nailed so, it. yeah, got it, Dan. That is so good. <laughs> I've talked much about it. You get to say, <laughs> no, but I love it. I, I love your passion. I love where you're coming from. That is so great. But I really agree. And Lindsay, for you, you know, it, it was there an episode that, that you were involved in or that there an episode just listening to and being a part of really touched your heart or really, yeah, opened you up. I'm laughing because I don't listen to Time Suck. <laughs> she hears about it too much with me. I know, I know. So here's the thing. <laughs> He's researching all week, right? So he'll be sitting at the computer and I, I, he'll be furiously going and I'm like, well, what are you writing about? What's happening? Or he'll be laughing, like, what's so funny? So what Time Suck has brought to my life and, and to our household is that these little bits of information seep into our household and it has changed the way that we communicate with the kids in the sense that, do we need to talk about serial killers with them? No, not at all. I mean, that's not really where we go. But as Dan is learning about various- yeah, Like immigration and guns and different things, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and it doesn't even have to necessarily be that big hmm. of a topic. You know, it could be Amelia Earhart. You know, it's just, yeah. we're just talking to the kids about like, what kids learn in school is different now. And I feel like history just doesn't go that deep. So we're just able to kind of, you know, extrapolate a little piece of information and then really expand upon it at home. And then you hear the kids talking about like, oh yeah, I, I do know who that is, or I didn't know. And then that kind of sends off a ripple effect. And, and Kyler loves history. Oh my God, does he love history? So then it, the conversation grows and grows and grows. And I really do think because of how much we've talked about things at home, mm -hmm. it, our kids are incredible conversationalists and they know all these random facts. And I, I continually see people kind of like, oh my God, yeah. how does that 
13 year old kid know that it's like, yeah. Cause we talk about these things. And I guess that's the one thing yeah. that stuck out in their brain. So it's, I've learned by osmosis. So I feel yeah. more worldly. I feel more confident in conversation, but I don't have it all. Yeah. In it's my just, brain. And I'm not an audible, like an auditory yeah. learner. So it's changed the atmosphere yeah. though of our house a little bit. Not that we weren't, you know, uh, talking about certain things before, but definitely way more now where my main job is just, you know, uh, deep dives on information mm -hmm. and then the sparks conversations. Now definitely our household, you know, is, is, you know, we have a lot of intense talks on everything with our kids, mm -hmm. anything that's happening politically, you know, culturally, mm -hmm. we have big discussions, you know, I'm always blown away how like our 12 year old daughter is like, I was not thinking about the kinds of things she was thinking about when I was that age, you know, it's interesting. And, you know, like my, my parents, grandparents just didn't talk about uh, worldly issues with me at all. Yeah. And so like when I was 12, I was, you know, I don't know, I guess just wondering what new uh, cassette tapes I was going to get from the BMG tape of the month club. Or I don't know. It's like inconsequential right. things. Right. Like, and they're talking about like big international oh, yeah. politics. Kyler was schooling me on Jim Crow laws and, and, you know, uh, the civil war and, yeah. You know, it's hard as a parent to recognize that your kid knows more than you on any specific topic. So, and I'm like a very proud person that way. So I'm learning with Kyler to take a step back and just let him share and let him open up and just let him assault me with facts and figures that I actually don't even care about. But he cares. He's so passionate, right? Yeah. And if he was that passionate about, let's say, soccer, I would be at all right. those games clapping mm -hmm. and cheering. So why can't I also cheer him on in his fact assaults. Yeah, he's well, passionate yeah. about politics, which mm -hmm. is insane to me for a 14-year-old. Yeah, he he told us that if life presented it this way, like he, you know, he has his, I mean, listen, he's going to be a sophomore. So like, you know, he's going to NYU, he's going to Columbia for law school, he's going to be a senator, you know, he's got this little plan, which could happen. Could happen. But he said, he's like, if life took me down this path, I would absolutely love to be the president. And he he means it. And he means it in a strategic way. Like, that's not my goal, but if through doing this work, it was an option, I would pursue that path. I would, like, if I ever said I wanted to be president, it was like, oh yeah, that'd be fun to be the boss of everyone. Like, I wasn't thinking about <laughs> activism yeah. and political change. I was like, cool, I'll live right. in a big house. I can't yes. wait to send my enemies to jail. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go bowling in the basement. Like, yeah. yeah, I love it. Well, and you know, and thank God, though, that the stuff he wants to talk about is that content-rich, you know, like yeah. you're saying, all these facts and stuff. And I'm not, my 22-year-old my daughter is very, very intelligent, but when she was growing up, I'd have to send a, sit at the end of her bed at night and listen to her repeat full episodes of Hannah Montana. <laughs> I mean, Miley Cyrus is a genius. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we, we've, all, we've all got our crosses to bear. But, yeah, I mean, that's sounds... <laughs> pretty yeah, awesome. Yeah. We, we get a little bit of that. I don't want to make him sound too... He's not too serious. YouTubers and memes. Uh, he finally has backed off, but for a good year or two, it was he would see Look us, at this meme. He would see our eyes glaze over after he had assaulted us with like the fortieth meme in a row, and couldn't believe that we weren't rolling around on the floor laughing. You know, <laughs> oh, and, and, yeah. and I'm like, finally had to have those talks. I'm like, hey, buddy, this this is for your friends. <laughs> 
this is for other 14 year olds. I'm like, I don't get the joke and I don't care to learn about this joke. <laughs> I can do without this meme. There's a lot of like, okay, boomer. <laughs> Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm a boomer. I'm a boomer. <laughs> well, and, and, and the one thing I want to acknowledge too, though, Lindsay, is one, one of the ways in which you rocked my world is when you were interviewed on Time Suck and you were just so like, I, like the expression that's coming to me, I don't know if I'll cut this or not, is like balls out just yeah. saying, don't cut it. Okay. I'm putting it in. I'm leaving it in. But you know, it's this whole thing of you just showed up and you were talking about sex and your sexual experiences. And I was like, holy shit, woman. Thank you. Thank you. How damn refreshing. And we need that. Yes. We do. We do. It's so frustrating to me that it's 2020 and that like women's issues is even a thing. Like, why do we have to have women's issues? I mean, I understand why. Right. But like, if we didn't have to suppress so much and why do we feel like we have to suppress so much and what are we so afraid of? And I mean, I don't know. It's like Monroe is 12 and a half and I, I see certain things, you know, certain behaviors. I'm like, Oh, so that's where it starts. Okay. Mm -hmm. So how can I reverse engineer that? And like the other day I was cracking up. She came downstairs at at 12 and a half. I was very aware of my body. I was very self-conscious she came down the stairs the other day and just like her little like booty short undies and her tank top and her hair back in a ponytail and a face mask on. And I was like, Hey girl, she's like, Hey, just like nothing. And I'm like, okay, we're doing something right. Because listen, does she need to walk around naked at 12 and a half? Probably not. But the fact that it didn't occur to her to be embarrassed or mm-hmm. uncomfortable or like Kyler will still walk downstairs and just his boxers and he gets a little weird, but he also makes a joke about it. Yeah. I'm like, okay you know what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. Like if we had house guests, you wouldn't do this. Yeah. But the fact that you're so comfortable, we're talking about sex with them. We're talking yeah. about mm. porn. We're talking about hair removal. Like you don't need a Brazilian yeah. wax girlfriend. Like, you yeah. know, but it's so, my mom, when I was about 15 said to me, have a one night stand, do it. It's empowering. Make sure somebody knows where you are. Like be smart, you know, was very, and this is a woman who goes to church every Sunday. Okay. So like she's playing both sides of the coin there, but I think because she raised me like that. Now I'm raising them. Like we talk about all of it. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah. Nothing. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. It, it, it is amazing how long it's taken America to kind of shake its puritanical roots. I think we have like a long way to go, but you know, it's, it's uh, that history is so embedded in our psyche where it's like, you know, like the Puritans and like the early people were very violent uh, a lot of hangings, a lot of burnings, a lot of, you know, like Inquisition type thing, a lot of, you know, very quick to war, you know, with, you know, American Indians, different, you know, like violence was just commonplace. The punishments were very violent and sexuality was so extremely repressed where I'm still amazed at just the, how irrational this is. But, you know, I could talk for 20 minutes on a podcast about the murder of a human being, you know, in graphic detail. You know, and, and go into like their final moments and, 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 and being tortured to death. Mm-hmm. Less people will be offended by that than if I were to spend 20 minutes talking about a clitoral orgasm. You know, absolutely. It, that's insane. Insane. It's insane. It's right. stupid what it is. It, it enrages me. I have, I'm thinking back to this like encounter I had with a, a mom friend who I like very much. And she was talking about the Super Bowl, which I did not watch this past year. Uh, and then with JLo was on it, 
what I guess some people really took issue with yeah. however she was dancing. And she said to me, she's like, I mean, that's a family show. And, well, and I said, um, do you let your son, because she was referencing her son, do you let him play like more video games? She's like, oh yeah. I go, then what are you worried about? How is that any yeah. worse? So weird. Like, you think, yeah. Do you know, think he knows how he got here? So either you can talk to him about it or you can let him find out on the internet and from his friends. Which yeah. narrative do you want? Control the narrative. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That specific, the Super Bowl ones kill me where it's like beer commercial, beer commercial, beer commercial. And then oh, hot you, girls in like yeah. tiny bikinis. And, and then there's some like, well, and then there's some sexuality in like a halftime show. And it's this outrage, this moral outrage. And then meanwhile, they go back to a game. And I'm, and I'm a fantasy football player, but I understand what I'm doing. The game itself is exceptionally violent. Mm-hmm. And, and the head injuries and, you know, like the, 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 just the overall injuries these people go through. It's like you should be more concerned about your kid playing football than you should about them seeing uh, Shakira shake her ass in a sequin outfit. You know, it's just like that's not yeah. hurting anybody. That's, that's, you know, it's so natural. It's so the, primal. The game is hurting a lot of people, you know, it's just, uh, exactly. Just, yeah. Again, I'm, I am constantly amazed of just, uh, the irrational choices people make just, or, or cultures make. It's so weird to me. You know, like I could, I could talk for hours about that. Oh yeah. I, yeah. I, I well, I mean, but maybe we'll have to do, you know, like interview take two. I would love to have yeah, guys. I'll, I'll, because there is so many things that that i would love to talk to you guys about and i have to tell you after i just shared that sex suck with my boyfriend uh, you know the joke became i called him pony boy and yeah (laughs) and and i became sarsaparilla as well so that was that was tacked onto my nicknames (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) love that love that but you know as, as we're getting to wrap up you know i wondered i wanted to ask you Dan if you would feel comfortable I was listening to the very beginning of the Genghis Khan suck the last suck and and you make a statement about the protests and I wanted to just if you felt comfortable if I could just play that and then we could kind of end with talking about that because it really resonated with me and it was so powerful and as I'm getting ready tomorrow to go to a protest with my daughter and my six and seven year old grandsons and awesome. my soon to be um, step grandson and soon to be uh, son in law, you know, it's like, yeah. Oh, it's so exciting. Um, and, and so to, you know, th- this is what's really up right now. And, you know, yeah. even in our little Fort Collins community, people really sure. wanting to acknowledge that. So I actually queued it up here. Took me a second to understand it. Supporting or not supporting the protests actually not a political issue. No matter how hard many in Washington, D.C. and the mainstream media and many of my fellow citizens try to make it to be. Why do we keep trying to frame fucking everything in America into this us versus them binary arguments? It's bullshit. Life is not black and white. To everyone who tries to spin this into a, uh, if you're for the protest, you're against the police. And if you're for the police, you're racist. Uh, fuck off. The protests are not about looting. Right. Uh, Not about being liberal, supporting good law enforcement officers, not about being conservative. The protests right now, in my opinion, are about human rights. Racial equality is about civil liberty for everyone. Is anything more American than civil liberty and protests? We're a nation built on revolution, a nation supposedly built on liberty and justice for all. And now it's un-American to revolt? No. 
lot of the same people saying the government didn't have the right to tell them to stay at home during a pandemic are now in favor of the government shutting protests down. Fucking what? That is the ultimate hypocrisy. That makes no sense. I support the protests, not the looters, not fuck the police, the protests. Why? Because black lives do matter to me. And that doesn't mean other lives don't. Please don't twist it into that. Black lives matters uh, means right now no race needs the support of America more than the black race. Reform is needed. Change is needed. The stats back that. And it's happening, you know? Some, some reforms, some changes. It's going on right now. And uh, I'm excited. It feels like some really good healing might come from all this. Some really good unity. Why be against that? Yeah. Yeah. Love that. I know. Give give that man a big hug. God, just. Mm. Yeah. I'm, I'm always teasing him. I'm like, Cummins for president. Come on. <laughs> I, I want to wear the dresses. <laughs> I know. Did you try to fight against this? Oh, it's, it's been frustrating the last couple of years to watch culturally things go into this binary kind of thought mode for most arguments. It's, you know, and, and you know, uh, the political climate has, has pushed that. Uh, I, I, tr <laughs> I try not, it's funny, I try to bite my tongue about Trump, not because I don't have a lot of thoughts, but because I want to reach people who are supporters of him more than I want to reach people who aren't. I want to like reach across the cultural aisle, so to speak, and try to like change certain thought processes. And I just, you know, uh, like, I, I think about it like when you go into a, a restaurant and a, a lot of the people working there are rude, I always think, well, that probably comes from the management. And right now, our management has spread this normalcy of hate and this normalcy of anyone who doesn't agree with you is just so wrong. And it's us versus them. It's this constant us versus them thought. And then that trickles down into almost every major story. And it's just, you know, I just, man, if I could just get people to think in terms of nuance more and in terms of gray, you know, where it could, if, if we're constantly pitted against each other, it's really hard to heal in that state. If you know, it's this constant violent pendulum swing, you know, back and forth of, you know, like, well, now, you know, you were mean to me earlier. And so now I'm in control and now I'm going to mean, be mean to you. And then that's just going to go back the other way. And yeah, right now, uh, I, I was, yeah, I'm very frustrated with how many people are against what's happening where I'm like, what are you against? Are you, are, are you against equality? And I, I don't think anyone would answer yes to that. Very few, unless you're ardent racist would answer yes to that but somehow they just go to this place in their head of these people hate america and it's like wait what what why would you ever think that it's like it's, it's funny how quickly we forget that we're a land of immigrants that we're a land of revolution you know it's it's like ah, yeah it just blows me away where i don't know i don't know i just yeah i do get so frustrated where it's like no just just stop for a second and listen listen to what they're saying if you don't think they're right have a conversation with somebody on the other side and just think about it as opposed to just waiting to say your little catchphrase that you have locked and loaded to be dismissive of their arguments because that goes on so much right now. I'm amazed how people get their three or four catchphrases, they lock them in their head, and then anything, that whole cognitive dissonance, anything that doesn't fit what they already believe, up, oh, love it or leave it, up, oh, you know, like... Uh, uh, you know, we'll get, go back to your country then or whatever. It's like, why are you doing that? Mm -hmm. What no good ever comes with that. So, so I'm very excited where do I agree with every single protester? Well, no, I mean, I can't, I don't know what everybody's intentions are, <laughs> but do I agree with the spirit of 
the stats show and just anecdotal evidence shows that, you know, we've been a racist country for a long time. And then that gets displayed in law enforcement. And there's, you know, these horrible beatings and, and killings. It's like, why wouldn't we work to end that? And, and I'm yeah. hopeful. I'm, I'm very hopeful that, you know, like change is painful. 2020 is going to be a painful year. I think probably 2021 will be too. But I think I'm hopeful that it's going to make the next many, many years a lot better for everybody. Yeah. Yes. You know, I, I, I absolutely think that. I mean, I was one of those few people and, and I do think it's horrific what's going on in the world today. There, I mean, I thought it was horrible, you know, people dying from COVID, all that. And at the same time, there was a part in me that got really excited, not about what's happening, but really right. excited because people were experiencing like the pandemic on a global level. So for the yeah. first time in our history, humanity was being affected all at once. Oh, like yeah. it wasn't just like one group, like when 9-11 happened and it was like, okay, you know what? America got over that pretty quickly. And right. instead it's like, no, month after month, all of humanity has been impacted by something. And I think that is what is breaking through this new level of awareness and consciousness. And to me, I get excited because I think that's the hope. And it had to get this painful and yeah. it had to get so scary um, you know, the analogy I always think about is that agitation that has to happen. If you even think about yeah. like a grain of sand in the clam, it's got to get agitated, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's only through that agitation that it forms the pearl, that it becomes something beautiful. And that that's yeah. my sense of what's happening now. I hadn't yeah. thought about it that way, where like the world experience and so much. That made me think of a funny thing where, you know, you know, as listening to Time Suck, I've talked about so many conspiracies and most of the major conspiracies go back to this fear of uh, this deep fear of one world government. And, uh, and I find that so odd where the best thing that could happen to the world someday would be a one world government where we stop dividing ourselves by these national boundaries and think globally. And that would be like a beautiful thing. So it's so funny to me that a lot of people's deepest fear, oh my God, I hope that the best thing ever never happens. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, it's like, it's like, because it, 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 that's what, you know, xenophobia and all that stuff goes away if we can just realize like, we're all in the same ball, you know? And, you know, uh, yeah, so that, 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 I never thought of that. That actually is very cool that, yeah, for the first time ever, the whole world experiencing the same tragedy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How about for you, Miss Lindsay, before we... Oh, man, cut out here. I, I saw the emotion come up in your face as you were listening to that. And yeah, I mean, it just, it just makes me so angry. It makes me so angry that we're still here, right? Like, it's, it's so frustrating. Uh, I, I grew up in Cleveland, I lived in LA. Now I live in a very white place. Um, and it's hard to be here. And I often feel helpless being here because I'm like, well, what can we even do from mm -hmm. here, right? So having those conversations with our kids, with I mean, I've been having some deep conversations with my mom, just my family. It's I thought that by not talking about it, we were raising our kids not to be racist. If I wasn't pointing it out, then they were seeing everybody the same. But now I feel like I'm almost ashamed, like, oh, I missed the boat on I'm not racist. I missed the boat on anti-racism. Like why wasn't I out there fighting harder for them? How did I, how did that just go over my head? Like, oh, I'm not racist, so everything's fine. No, it's not. And I know that it's not. So like why, it's so sad that what happened to George Floyd happened 
but I, I do like, like that sand, like that pearl. It's like, I do hope that this, that we are living through a beautiful transformative moment. I think that, I hope that our kids look back and think like, oh my God, when I was 14, that's when that law happened. Mm-hmm. That's when things change. Cause I look back on the seventies and I yeah. always think like, yeah. oh man, I would have been <laughs> out there. Yeah. I would have been with them. And it's like, well then get your ass out there and be with them. Now's your chance. Yeah. You know? That's true. I, I, that's so funny. I think about that as you're talking where I wonder how many people who hate what's happening right now love uh, rock from like 67, 68, and 69. Oh, they're it's loving like, like their CCR. Yeah, and, and listening to Zeppelin and everything and the Stones from that era. And it's like that music came directly out of counterculture revolution change. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right as you're saying that, I, I, it just came up in my mind, you know, murder, it's just a kiss away. I mean, wh- what do they think they're listening to, right? Right, right. Right, right. Yeah. 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 Oh, I'm so excited that you're going to protest tomorrow with your family. That's yeah, good so for you. beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, what's that? Be safe. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, Lindsay, I, I have to say, too, though, I, I was brought up in a way, too, where I thought, oh, I'm not racist and that's enough. You know, my, my father was a professor at CSU here, an, eco- an economic professor, and he did workshops in Kenya, Africa. So wow. I grew up I grew up with the darkest exchange students sitting around my dinner table, Yeah, you know, yeah. and so I never got like, oh, that's, you know, I, I like I literally couldn't compute it. And I think we are so enculturated to think, oh, I'm not racist. So, you know, I got it down. I'm, I'm good and my kids are good. And I didn't teach my kids that either. I didn't right. even understand anti-racism until lately. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. just I'm just listening to that book right now, How to Become an Anti-Racist. And I'm like, yes. hell yes. I'm like taking notes, you know, the entire time I'm listening to it because it's, yeah, exactly. So I think it's not about beating ourselves up maybe for what we didn't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's something I tell my clients. It's like we can't beat ourselves up for what we didn't know yesterday with the information we have today. That's but right. today is our point of power and the point of action. Mm-hmm. And I am just so thrilled to have the two of you, two people I deeply respect and just your your relationship is awesome. The people that you are and like as I said in the beginning, how you show up in this world is is awesome and inspiring and I'm just so grateful for you two in this. Uh, thank you. And thank you for sending your book. I wanted to come. I just haven't had time to read it as I doing all these projects, but yeah. it looks great. And I follow you on Instagram and your message is always so consistently positive and empowering. Yeah. You can just tell like, uh, now for me to sound like rude, it's funny because I'm not into all the new age stuff necessarily, but I see like, oh, this person has such a great energy, just like a good spirit. And yeah, you, you have a very, very good energy about you. <laughs> yeah. What really came through in this episode is just how important it is that we really just show up and that we can just really be authentic. That's one of the things I just love about those two and the message so clearly about what's important. You know, really what's important is love. I just think it's so important during these times that we're really able to come together, you know, to see each other 
really we're, we're all in this, you know, we're all in this, this body called humanity and we're all important cells in the body of humanity. And so I really feel, you know, that, that that was one of the messages that really came through, you know, let's allow ourselves to laugh. Let's allow ourselves to love. Let's allow ourselves to dig deep and to be there for one another, knowing that we're all going through this together. And, you know, we do need one another. So you matter. Each one of us matters. There's so much good in each one of us. And that's what we've got to let shine through. We got to let the light, you got to let the spark in you ignite and shine through. And I truly do believe that's how we can help heal this world. Remember, The Spark is your show too. If you have questions, feedback on the show, or if you're going through something and need a little help, we'd love to hear from you. Continue the conversation with us at our website, thesparkpod.com, and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. New episodes of The Spark air Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Mountain. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional and should not be considered medical advice. If you're having a mental or physical health crisis, please seek treatment immediately. The Spark is produced by NOCO Media Limited, which is solely responsible for its content. Thanks again for listening. This has been The Spark, igniting your best life. I'm Stephanie James. This has been a production of NOCO FM.